0: Hello. Thank you for having me. It's very nice to be back. I have been to Bath London Church before, um, a very, very, very long time ago when you were in, I don't know, the, the building before the building before, or I don't know how many buildings ago, um, but I have been here before. It's lovely to be back. And I bring you greetings from Church Alive in Birmingham. Uh, they were thrilled to send me, and Send their love, and also from Steve, my husband, who's in Wirral, in the Wirral this weekend. So we're very far apart. He's gone up. I can't call it Liverpool; the people from the Wirral would shoot me. So he's on the Wirral with our son and daughter-in-law and grandchildren. Um, but he sends his love as well. And some of you know Simon Greathead yes, and yes. Anna Greathead. They send special love to Basildon from from Birmingham. So they're doing really well. You'll be pleased to hear. Thank you, Ricky, for your confidence. Um, I once went to preach at a church in America where the pastor had a very dry sense of humor and um, I was at his house overnight with his family and having breakfast on the morning that I was going to be sharing in the church and I confided to a certain nervousness. I said, look, you know, I'm just feeling a bit nervous. It feels like a big responsibility to come to your church and share the word of God. And then um, he said, Helen, please don't be afraid. He said, I have every confidence that you couldn't and wouldn't preach anything in my church that I couldn't fix. (laughs) 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 So I took that as a challenge. (laughs) (laughs) uh, (laughs) Thankfully, he went back several times and I reminded him every time. (laughs) day. You know, you're not going to go to fix it. But anyway, no, I'm taking the word of God rather more seriously than that. You'll be pleased Do you want to open your Bibles with me to the Gospel of Mark, please, chapter 11. If you're new to your Bible, it's not very far past the middle, it's the beginning of the New Testament, just the second book of the New Testament, the Gospel of Mark. And um, I'm reading from chapter 11 and I'm going to start at verse... 11. So this is just after the event that we now call Palm Sunday, when Jesus rode into Jerusalem on a donkey and everyone spread palms and cloaks under the feet of the donkey and celebrated his arrival. So that's the thing that's just happened when we're going to pick up the narrative now. So it says this, verse 11. He went into Jerusalem and into the temple. After looking round at everything, Since it was already late, he went out to Bethany with the twelve. The next day, when they went out from Bethany, he was hungry. Seeing in the distance a fig tree with leaves, he went out to find if there was anything on it. When he came to it, he found nothing but leaves, for it was not the season for figs. He said to it, May no one ever eat your fruit again. And his disciples heard it. They came to Jerusalem and he went into the temple and began to throw out those buying and selling. He overturned the tables of the money changers and the chairs of those selling doves and he would not permit anyone to carry goods through the temple. He was teaching them, is it not written, my house will be called a house of prayer for all nations, but you've made it a den of thieves. The chief priests and the scribes heard it and started looking for a way to kill him, for they were afraid of him because the whole crowd was astonished by his teaching. Whenever evening came, they would go out of the city. Early in the morning, as they were passing by, they saw the fig tree withered from the roots up. And Peter remembered and said, Rabbi, look, the fig tree that you cursed has withered. Jesus replied to them, Have faith in God. Truly I tell you, if anyone says to this mountain, be lifted up and thrown into the sea, and does not doubt in his heart, but believes that what he says will happen, it will be done for him. Therefore I tell you, everything you pray and ask for, believe that you've received and it will be yours. And whenever you stand praying, if you have anything against anyone, forgive him, so that your Father in heaven will also forgive you your wrongdoing. Yikes! What a passage! Has anyone ever thought, poor fig tree? It's a bit of a shame for the fig tree. It seemed very fair. We'll get to that. Um, I'm sure there are people in this room who can institute this passage a lot better than I can. So I'm not going to try to do that. But what I am going to do is share with you some things that God has shown me from it in recent times. Just In recent months God's been working in my life and actually in the lives of people in our church in, in, in new and fresh ways. And this passage has become a little bit special, so I'm just going to share with you things that God has revealed to me, um, just out of my own heart, and the things that how it's making a difference. One of the things that I firmly believe in is being curious about the Scriptures. I think it's a good way to approach the Bible. Just be curious. I wonder about this or that, and and I wondered about why does Mark tell the story of the cleansing of the temple? wrapped around with the story of the fig tree. Why does he tell it that way? Matthew in Matthew's gospel the, the fig tree and the cleansing of the temple are linked together they're very, they're about the same sort of times so it's just around the, the time when Jesus came into Jerusalem after the triumphal entry. Luke has the, the fig tree story a little bit differently but Matthew and Mark are similar but Mark he seems to kind of bookend the temple story with the fig tree story and that get me curious. Why? Why does he do it like that? Why do those things go together? And I began to see that this whole episode in the life of Jesus, everything that God is doing here, everything Jesus is doing here, is about fruit. It's all about fruit. So obviously the fig tree thing, it's easy to see that's about fruit, but so is the cleansing of the temple about fruit. So I'll explain it to you. Some things you need to understand about figs. Fig trees, a couple of things that help understanding this story. One is horticultural and the other is theological. So it's quite important to to understand. Fig trees, when they come into leaf, they set their fruit very early. So the fruit you can tell when a when a fig tree comes into leaf, you can see the beginnings of the fruit at the same time as the leaves. On some fruit trees you can't, it's not that obvious, but on fig trees they set their fruit very early. So Jesus would have been able to tell at a glance of this tree that there were not going to be any figs when it was time for figs. Because the tree was already in leaf, and a fig tree in leaf will have evidence that there's going, there are going to be figs. So Jesus wasn't being quite so harsh on the fig tree as you think when he didn't find any figs when it wasn't the season for figs. It means it wasn't the season for eating the figs. They weren't yet going to be ripe and ready to eat. But if there were going to be any at that season, they would have been able to be seen now when it was in leaf. So maybe he wasn't quite so harsh. But the other thing that's really useful to know, and this is where I love, the, I love my, my curiosity in Scripture, I'm very curious. I like, You know that game, Join the Dots? I like joining dots. And I like to find the dots in the Bible and like draw all the lines so I get a bit more of a picture. So I I did some research into fig trees in the Bible. What do fig trees stand for in the Bible? Because there's quite a lot of fig trees in the Bible. This isn't the only one. And I discovered that the fig tree in the Old Testament stood for the nation of Israel very often, in the prophets in particular. When the prophets in the Old Testament spoke about Israel, God's chosen special people, the Old Testament people of God, that nation of Israel, had been called and chosen by him out of all the nations and he rescued them, you know the story, he rescued them from Egypt and he brought them into the promised land and he made them his own special people and he called them by name. And he said of them, you, you are my chosen people and you can show the nations what I'm like. And my calling on your life, he said to them, is to reveal to all the nations around who've got all sorts of gods of their own. You can show them what I'm like. And he gave them the law and he gave them instructions in order that the way they lived their life would demonstrate to everybody else what God was like. a really special calling. But if you know your Old Testament story you'll know they weren't very good at fulfilling it. The nation of Israel kept dropping the ball on that one. They, They missed the point. They didn't appreciate just how special they were. They didn't realize and recognize they weren't celebrating what a high calling that was to be the people who could show the world What God was like. What an amazing calling. They didn't understand it and they looked at the other nations and they thought to themselves, well, we like it better the way they do it. Quite like their gods, some of their ceremonies seem quite exciting. You know, the men thought their women looked pretty decent and the women thought their men looked pretty decent. So they kept breaking God's rules and they kept being less special than he said they were. And the prophets about that a lot. The Old Testament prophets spoke to Israel and said, you keep missing the point. You're not living in such a way that everyone can discover me and find out what I'm like. You're missing the point. Be careful because judgment is coming on you about that. I've given you a job to do and you're not doing it. Be careful. Because I know, I'm not going to stand for that. God was saying this through the prophets. I'm just going to give you a few examples. In Jeremiah chapter 8, one of the judgments that God was declaring would happen to Israel. is they would be like a fig tree with no fruit. That was going to be, that was sort of a curse on them. You're, You're like a fig tree with no fruit. And later on in Jeremiah 29, he said that the judgement that was coming on Israel, which we know later, they were carried away into exile, Jerusalem was sacked, the temple was destroyed, they were taken away to Babylon, and Jeremiah prophesied, and he says, you'll be like inedible rotten figs. That was a judgement in the Old Testament. That's what you're going to be like. anyone been to the Mediterranean late in the summer season when the figs are finished? I've, I've been to places like Greece and southern Spain in September when the figs are finished. And there's loads and loads and loads of rotten figs on the road and they're just being squished by the cars and the passers-by and the bicycles. There's just all this kind of fig mush on the road when the figs are finished and it's all squished. There's that kind of the judgment that God was pronouncing through Jeremiah on Israel. In Hosea, in his prophecy, God is sad and God is saying the beautiful fig tree And my glorious vine have gone over to other gods. He's sad because the people of Israel are not living the way he called them to live. And he likens them to figs. In Joel chapter 1, Joel is foreseeing the exile. He's predicting it. And he says, he sees it in his mind eye. And he says, the invading armies have the vine and have splintered my fig tree. Jesus is saying, God said, it's my fig tree and it's just gone wrong. And in Micah, I love that in Micah chapter 7, God is sad. The prophet speaks with God's voice and he's sad because there was no early figs. And it's just a lovely little thing because God says, which I crave. There was no early fig which I crave. Oh, I do love a fig. And there aren't any. And God is really sad. So that should help us to understand this passage. Jesus has come into Jerusalem. And we know that with the verse we started with, the night before he went to cleanse the temple, he went and did a bit of wrecking. He went into Jerusalem and it says, and he had a look around. He looked at everything. And then he went back to Bethany to spend the night. He may have slept the night at Mary and Martha and Lazarus' house. They were his friends in Bethany. Perhaps that's where he was. But he'd had a bit of a recce the night before. So something was on his mind already when he saw that fig tree the next morning. And I think that the hearers at the time and the readers of Mark, when Mark wrote his gospel, I think those people would have known the prophet's stories about the fig tree. They would have known. Jesus is unhappy with what's going on with his people. And he gets there to the temple and he finds... The temple's gone wrong. The people are not behaving in the temple the way that he intended them to behave. Now we're in the New Testament, but we're, we're still the Old Testament side of the cross. And you could argue the Gospels are sort of an extension of the Old Testament in a way, can you? So here you've got God's people, they still know they're called to be God's people, they still know that they have this calling to be the special ones, to be the chosen ones, the ones who could be showing the world what God is like. That calling hasn't changed on them, they still know that is true, and you could argue well they're doing their best, they've got quite a slick temple system going on here, the sacrifices are still being maintained, it's still all working despite the fact that they're occupied by the Romans at this point, it's kind of an act of defiance they're saying okay, we might be under Roman occupation but we're not going to forget we're Jews, we're not going to forget that we're God's people, we're going to maintain our systems but Jesus didn't like the way they were doing it they weren't doing it right, they were missing the point God doesn't have favourites. We know that, don't we? But if he did, big caveat, he doesn't. But if he did, he doesn't. But if he did, they would be the poor. The favourites would be the poor. He doesn't really have favourites, but if he did, they'd be the poor. And the poor are being exploited in this temple system. And the point Like. The, the poor, even among the Jews, were being exploited. He found in the outer court of the temple there was a trading floor, and people were basically exploiting the poor in order to maintain the sacrificial system. They were, so various things were happening. They were selling animals to take to the sacrifice, but they were exploiting in two ways. First of all, in order to buy those animals, you had to have temple money. So you had to bring your regular money to the money changers, who would change it for you into temple money, at a commission, no doubt. They were making money off the poor. You can't buy that dove with regular money. You've got to buy it with temple money. We'll change that for you. So they were exploiting them. And then they were selling them at inflated prices. And they, would, they wouldn't let anyone just bring their animals through. They would, you couldn't come with your dog and just walk through and make your sacrifice. So you had to buy your dog on the way and you had to change your money to do it. They were just ripping them off. But the other significant thing that was going wrong, it wasn't just the Jewish poor that were being exploited. It was the whole principle of being a people who showed the nations what God is like. The outer court of the Gentiles was designated as a place where the Gentiles could come and pray and meet with God. When God designed the temple, he designed it in such a way that the outer court was accessible to people who were not the chosen people, the Jews. All the other nations could come in, but they couldn't get in because there was this marketplace going on and they couldn't access it. So what they were showing to their surrounding occupying forces and all the other nations, what they were showing was, our God is a God who doesn't really care about the poor at all, who will happily have them exploited in order that he gets his sacrifices offered. And he doesn't actually care about the nations either, because you know what, you can't come in, you're not welcome. If you think you want to come here and find God, there isn't any room for you. No wonder Jesus was angry. They were not producing fruit. They were not being fish. They were not doing what God had called them to do. And his judgment came upon them as a result. So what he had done to the fig tree the day before, he pronounced against the Jews when he came and turned over the temple. And we know that in AD 70, Jerusalem was sacked again, the temple was destroyed again. And in other, in, elsewhere in the New Testament, God says, I'm going to, Jesus said, I will take the anointing away from you if you like. I'm gonna take this special calling away from you and I'm gonna give it to people who will bear fruit. People who will produce sweet ripe frigs. I'm gonna change the system now because you've let, you've let me down. God said that. They were so far off the mark. Isaiah 56 is the, is the bit that's quoted where it says, my house will be called a house of prayer for all nations, but you have made it a den of thieves. It was supposed to be a place where people could come and find God. So that's a kind of the depressing background. It? <laughs> I think we need to know that stuff, though, don't we? If you've ever wondered, what the heck is going on with the fig tree? That's what's going on with the fig tree. Jesus is not seeing his people demonstrating to the nations what he was like. They were giving a completely false impression of what he was like to the nations because they themselves had misunderstood what they were there for. And I think they probably thought they were okay. I'm sure they thought that, well we're maintaining our sacrificial systems, we're, we're running the temple, we haven't succumbed to the Roman gods, we're standing up for what we believe in. I'm sure they thought they were getting it right, but they were just off the mark, they were missing it. And God began to speak to me, because I, I find it quite easy to get a bit judgmental about Old Testament Israel, and a little bit judgmental about people who you know, are missing the mark, and God just began to speak to my own heart. Am I bearing the fruit that he wants my life to bear? Because I and you, if you know Jesus, if you belong to Jesus, you are called and chosen and given the task of knowing God and loving God in such a way that you can show the nations what he's like. And your life and my life can be a testimony to what God is like. what if, just what if, I've forgotten what he's like so I'm living my life with God and thinking it's okay but actually I'm missing the mark. And God just began to touch on those things with me. We've been in a season in our church for just over a year where we've been learning the disciplines if you like of contemplation, a slowed down spiritual life. A life where we do less And spend more time just in the presence of God. It's very challenging. It's very, very challenging to do less. You're supposed to be doing, aren't you? You That's what you're supposed to be doing. But we've been learning to just quieten our souls and pay attention to the love of God in us. And find out how does he love us? How does he relate to us? And then to benefit from that relationship. Because it's out of that that we can then demonstrate to people who don't know him, what he's really like. When you know what it is to be truly loved by God, you've got something to offer to people who don't. When you know what it's like to have lived in the grace of God in the midst of your weakness and your failure, then you've got something to give to people who don't know that. But we can get so caught up with maintaining our systems of being Christians that we miss that point. And before you get scared, I'll just put in a caveat to this because we are the right side of the cross. We are the the Jesus ascension side of the cross, thankfully. And so actually we're not coming under a judgement that says I'm taking your calling away from you if you get it wrong. That's not where we live. Romans 8 tells us, doesn't it? There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ because the law of the spirit of life has set us free from the law of sin and death. So we're safe, we're saved. And Romans 8 goes on at the end to say, nothing, nothing shall separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus. But I still think that God is looking for fruit in us. He still wants in our lives a fruit that means we can be Picked, if you like, we can be picked by the world and taste sweet, and they'll know what Jesus is like. So, just want to give you some examples of the ways in which I think we can just miss the mark, just be a little bit off. These are ways that have spoken to me personally. I'm guilty of all of them. <laughs> so, you can relax if you can get smug if you're like, Oh, she's got that, I haven't got that. That's fine, you know, you can, you can go there if you want. Or you can let the Holy Spirit soak in and give you an opportunity to reflect. So here's the first one that has come to my mind. I can be really, really busy doing stuff for God instead of just being with God and knowing Him. I can fill my life with meaningful, significant, important Christian activity but never actually pause long enough to let him in to the depths of my soul, where I can really know him and be known. It didn't matter for the Jews how slick their temple system was if they were missing the point. You know, I could go to loads of meetings, I could have lots of quiet times, I could serve really well, I could give really generously, I could do every Bible study, every prayer meeting, I could do the children's work, although I have to confess, I never have. Um, I can preach, I can serve the tea and coffee, I can carry the chairs in and out, I can do all of that stuff and still be a really, really baby Christian who's not growing and who doesn't know how much God really, really loves me because I don't pause to find out. That can happen. You can have been a Christian who's carried the chairs for 20 years, but never really let God just love you and change you at depth. And therefore, what you show to the world is, being a Christian is all about carrying the chairs. It's all about the serving. I've got a friend in the church who, she made a joke when she said, you know, I've realised you give your life to Jesus and then you spend the rest of it transporting salads. (laughs) Um, in our church, we will be transporting cake. We eat a lot of cake in our church. But, you know, we can do that. We can think. That's what being a Christian is all about. It's all about the serving, the doing, the showing up, the being there, the praying all the time, the reading our Bible all the time. But what if Jesus just says, like he said to Martha, just come and sit. Just come and sit for a bit. I just want to love you. I want to love you so much that you start to really change the way you see yourself and the way you see me. So when you talk about me to people who don't know me, you've got it about how I feel. And you don't get that if you're really, really busy all the time. Yeah. Even though they're really, really busy, I know it has to be done, but it's how do we put that focus in? We can sometimes think, well, I'm okay because I'm having my quiet times, I'm doing all my right stuff, I'm turning up. But God wants a relationship with us. Jesus said, eternal life is that they may know me. Know me, not just do stuff. 2019 has gone down as the year of the leg in my life. First of all, I had a melanoma discovered in my leg, a a skin cancer lesion in my leg, so I had to have surgery on my right leg. So that was the first thing, and that meant that I had to sit and rest for a few weeks and not do a lot of moving around. I had a big scar on my leg. Better and then I went on holiday and I fell off an inflatable unicorn in the swimming pool, as you do, and twisted my same leg knee, twisted the ligament very badly. On my knee had to have physiotherapy and then that was just getting better. When I fell in the shower and did some sort of groin injury, so then I was like, all at the same time it was a year of the leg taught me something really interesting which became a kind of spiritual principle really. She, she had me do these exercises where I had to put a one kilogram weight on my ankle and raise and lower my leg and kind of keep it up for a bit and then lower one kilogram on my ankle and the reason for that was to strengthen the quad muscle because the quad muscle apparently was the problem with the knee. So if I could strengthen the quad muscle then it would help the knee. So I had to do this thing and at first I could not do it <laughs> you're joking I can't lift a one kilogram. and she said okay I want you to try and do 10 so I'm like Ugh, uh, I'm not very fit anyway I think moving's a bit overrated that's kind of my philosophy for life and so <laughs> there I was <laughs> anyway I got up to 10 I could do 10 and I went back to my physio session I was really excited so I can do it, I can do it do I do 20 now? She said, no, 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 you don't be 20 now. you put two kilograms on. <laughs> she said, it doesn't matter how many reps you do, it's not the reps that are making you strong, it's the burden, it's the load that makes you strong. So these people can go to the gym and do 500 reps or something, and it's not, not they're not getting any stronger. And for me, actually learning to stop all the doing, and sit really quietly with the Lord and discover His love for me. That took a lot of effort. That took a lot of effort for me. I practiced silence, and I began with two minutes of silence, absolute silence. When you're not allowed to even do the yes, Lord. Can't do that either. Nothing, just silence before God. Two minutes nearly killed me. Nearly killed me. I'm up to it in like about half an hour now. That's completely fine. But at I was like oh, gosh I can't do this it's really hard I feel like I've got to give God something I've got to be telling him something I've got to be asking him something I've got to be offering him something God said no I just want you to know me I just want you to sit here Steve likened it to our little granddaughter Daisy she's three and she's a real harem scarum she's like she never stops she's you know one of these bull in a china shop charging about little girls But just every now and then, completely out of the blue, with no warning, she'll come and sit on his knee and she'll manage to sit still for maybe 30 seconds, just on his knee, not saying or doing anything. And he's not saying or doing anything. And then she gets up and she's off again. Because it's like that when we come to God. Imagine the thrill that that gives Steve when Daisy sits like that. And when Daisy has just chosen, I just want you now, Granddad. I don't want anything from you. I don't want to do anything, I just want you. God invites us to that place. So be careful of filling your Christian life with activity. The second one is when we pretend that our more difficult self isn't there. You know the part of you that really hurts or the part of you that's angry or the part of you that's sad the part of you that's scared, the part of you that has doubts. When we start to believe that those parts of ourselves are not acceptable to ourselves, and not acceptable to God, we've missed the mark. And we won't bear a fruit that can be picked by the world because the world is full of fear and doubt and hurt and anger and sadness and pain. And if we can't go to God with all of that and honestly acknowledge it and be genuine about it, what have we got to offer if we can't find God in that? You know, we tell ourselves, don't we? Say, well, I'm fine. Of course, I'm fine. And we talk about faith as being the thing that, you know, we're more than conquerors and we're overcoming, and it's all brilliant, you know. And I'm just going to trust Him anyway, and we smile through. And even if someone says to you, "How are you?" and you know that deep down you may be having the worst possible time of it, but you, no, I'm fine. God is good. God's faithful. Something's not right about that because God loves us as we are absolutely we're his children we're the apple of his eye, we're precious can you let God have your difficult self this was a big challenge to me, if we can't let God have our difficult self I think we've fallen into a legalism we've fallen into a legalism that says we must be full of faith, full of confidence, full of hope full of assurance all the time otherwise somehow we're not acceptable to God but the truth is we're absolutely acceptable to him And we risk sending a message to the world that says God can't deal with that stuff. If I never talk about my hurts or my doubts or my fears or my sadness, if I never mention it and I never mention it in the same sentence as God, what am I offering to the people whose whole life is full of that stuff? Who want to come and see if there's any fruit on the tree? What's God got to say to me in my brokenness? What's God got to say to me in my doubt? What's he got to say when I'm scared? Is any of that okay? Can I pray about that stuff? I work as a chaplain in um, general practice and, and I'm, I meet with people who are struggling with these things. And I'll say, shall we pray? Can you talk to God about <coughs> that? Oh, I don't know whether God wants to know how scared I am or I don't even know if I believe today. I, don't even, I, I just don't even know if God's even there. And, yeah, you could tell him that. Yeah, you can tell him that. God is a gracious God compassionate, slow to anger rich in love let God love you something else we do is we put God in the church box and we jump in and out of that box when we're in, we're at church or we're at life group or home group or we're we're doing something for God or we're doing all the God stuff is in one box and the rest of our life we live in another box somewhere else so that affects the way we make decisions. It affects the way we make our choices. Someone in our church a few years ago now, she said to me that she was thinking of having a relationship with this man who didn't know Jesus, and, and I said to her, well, what, what does God say about that? And she said, oh, I tend not to bother God with things like that. <laughs> what do you bother God with? Well, you know, being at church and what here in the sermon maybe or yeah, bothering God with the fundamental choices that were affecting her life well that's quite a big and obvious one but what if you're more influenced by peer pressure or by your workplace culture or your family culture or by social media or the TV what if those things are actually subtly influencing the way you make your choices and the way you live your life more than just asking God about it what do you think God Let me be with you today. I've started to ask myself this question. Who do I think I am when I walk into a room? Any room. Who do I think is coming into that room? When I go to work and I walk across, I work in a GP surgery, if I walk through reception of the GP surgery, who do I think is walking across that room? Because if I just think it's just Helen, then... I've missed the point. But if I think it's an ambassador of the kingdom of God who's walking through the room, I'm going to be different. That's why this doll is here with the water. I was reading in a book, an illustration like this, and it said, what, how would your life be different? How would you be different if your life were as filled with God as this sponge is with water? So, if someone bumps into you, what comes out? If you come under pressure, sorry I'm making a mess now. It's good if I've got a sponge I can wipe off. And this has really challenged me. You know, there's times when God's in the box and I'm somewhere else. Maybe I'm watching a movie with people who don't know Jesus, or maybe I'm... Thinking about what job to get, or maybe I'm being cut up on the road by a driver who's not very gracious, and I'm I'm just somewhere else. And it's easy at church. You know, if if church were a motorway and you cut me up, it might bless you, brother. (laughs) God bless you, you need to be somewhere praying for you. But what if I'm I'm forgetting who I really am, who God has said I am, and I'm not so full of wood? I love this. Imagine if we go through our whole life as. As full of God, consciously, knowingly full of God as this sponge is full of water. What a difference. Imagine the difference you would make if that was true of you. I'll mop it up later, promise. <laughs> it's a challenge to me because we can be missing the mark. What if, this is the last one, what if we fall for this idea of having to be self sufficient? having to solve our own problems and meet our own needs and make the world work for us instead of just reaching out to God and letting him make the world work for us. One of the ways that this, does, uh, this plays out for me is I, I, I'm really not very comfortable with conflict. I mean, no one likes it, you know. No one's gonna say, oh, I love conflict, me. Most people don't. But I'm quite uncomfortable with conflict. And as a result, I've developed a whole raft of strategies for never having to deal with it, one of which includes I just leave the room. If you get into conflict in front of me, I will leave. (laughs) This sometimes happens, Steve sometimes gets into conflict on the telephone with, let's say, a utility provider, let's just say for the sake of argument. He's not even having a conflict with me. He's having a conflict on the phone with a service provider. I leave the room because it's so uncomfortable for me to be around conflict. And what I'm doing is I'm solving my problem. I've got a problem. I don't like it. I don't like what's happening. I'm leaving and I'm settling for something that's false. In that context, I can't do anything about the conversation he's having. But when the conflict is in front of me, Jesus doesn't call me to avoid it and live in a false peace that I've created for myself in my little way. He calls me to be those, to be someone who is a peacemaker in his name and to find ways with him to address the thing that I don't like. I don't know what it is in your life. There might be things in your life where you've worked out all sorts of little strategies for making it all okay that don't include, well, God, you're just going to have to come in and take over here. You know, that feeling, oh, I've got this, I've got this. This is what I need to do in order to make it okay. What about if God wants us to trust him? Otherwise, the message we're sending to the nations when they look is that God can't really handle our weakness. He's not really that interested in it. You're on your own. But it's not true, is it? Now, please don't panic. God is not going to come and look at your life and see that there are not any figs on it and curse you. It's not going to happen. But take the spirit of what I'm saying. This this whole episode is about fruit. God has called us, says in John 15, I have chosen you and called you to bear fruit that will last. And that fruit can only come out of letting your life go deeper with God, <coughs> moving away from all the doing and all the self-sufficiency and all the hiding and all the pretending that everything is as it should be and letting God in. Because when you know for sure how loved you are, how great his grace is, how forbearing he is, how compassionate he is, how powerful he is, when you know that for sure, you've got something to give to the world. And you can't get there with shortcuts through the doing, there aren't aren't any. Jesus is looking for fruit. That's why when they question him about the, the cursing fig tree and he says, when you pray, forgive so that your father will forgive you. He's saying, my kingdom is not about a slick temple system. My kingdom is about grace. My kingdom is about kindness. My kingdom is about forgiveness and hope. That's the fruit I'm looking for. That's the fruit I'm looking for. And that's the fruit he didn't see. Let yourself spend time with God, slowly spending time with him, until, like John said, less of me, more of him. And then whoever bumps into you, whatever comes your way, whatever challenge you face, it's God that's the determining factor. It's God that's, a, that's helping you, strengthening you, but also it's God that you reveal to everyone you meet, everyone you meet, not just in church. So you might want to make a few changes as a result of what I've heard this morning. You might want to readjust where you spend your time, who you spend it with, things you watch on telly, what you do on social media, I don't know. You might want to set aside time just to draw alongside God and let him love you. I like that, (laughs) let him love you. It's lovely to be loved by God. You might want to just challenge yourself when you find... That actually you haven't had time to sit with God because you've needed to tick all the boxes and get all your ducks in a row first. That's a big trick the enemy plays on me. You can't have your quiet time now, Helen. You can't go and sit with the Lord because you haven't done the washing up. Mm-hmm. Or oh, I well, no, there's that person to see or that phone call to make or that place to go. You haven't got time. Yes, I have. Yes, I have. And if God is really important, <laughs> if he's really first in my life, that will show. You might want to start risking a little bit of vulnerability with God the difficult you, the difficult you, the the you you don't like, let God have a look at that and discover just how kind he is. Just how kind he is. He's so kind. Might just be one change that you feel you want to make so that your life, which is the temple of the Holy Spirit, can be like a house of prayer for all the nations and they can come and look at it and find what God is like through you. Isn't that wonderful? Let me just pray for us. Heavenly Father, we thank you that we are saved by grace through faith. We thank you, God, that we belong to you, that we're your chosen special people. Lord, we don't want to miss the mark. We want to be fruitful people who demonstrate to the world around us what you're like. Lord, we want to be people where those who know us can experience you in us. Therefore, Father, I just pray that you will help us as your people to really know you well. Help us as your people to trust you deeply with our deepest selves, to really have first-hand experience of your grace, your favor, your love, your mercy, your compassion. God, I pray that you teach us how to come to you in ways that we can be so filled with you, like that sponge with water, that nothing but you cuts out. Forgive us, Lord, when we distract ourselves in the name of all sorts of good things from ever risking ourselves into your hands. Help, help us, Lord, to make whatever adjustment you want us to make. In Jesus' name. Amen.